Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of Two Man Advantage. Oh my goodness, the clock ticking ever closer to the return to play. Eric Dehatchik joining again as Pierre Lebrun floats aimlessly through the Muskoka waters. Uh, Eric, now I know you're in the Kawarthas. I got all my coordinates right again. Uh, Are you staying hydrated and wearing the appropriate sunscreen at your cottage? I am doing all of those things, Scott. I've got a guest this week. Uh, my old tennis club buddy is up here. And even as we're, we're two 65-year-old guys, we played an hour and a half in the morning. And then my nephew got off work and said, can can you play tonight? We went over at 6 o'clock and played another hour and a half. So three hours of tennis, two old guys. That, that was pretty good. I was pretty impressed. I'm sort of stretching myself I'm, now. I'm, <laughs> I'm stiff and sore this morning, by the way, walking like an old man. Yeah, things are good here in the court. Things are good. Good stuff. Well, listen, today is a special day because our guests, listen, never mind guys like Alex Petrangelo, Tori Krug, Taylor Hall. Listen, those guys, great free agents. All right. But our guests today may, in fact, be the biggest free agent get on the market. And we're talking about John Forslund, longtime voice of the Carolina Hurricanes, maybe one of the greatest play-by play men of his generation packing up as we speak to head to the bubble in Toronto and do some work for NBC NBC Sports John does it does it feel weird when I describe you as a free agent does it still feel a bit weird to you or how, how are things on your end no Scott and Eric good morning it's uh it's great to hear your voices and um yeah this I got to be honest with you um very different uh, the last month has been peculiar um, trying to, you know, get through the emotions of it all. It, it's, uh, I've been with this team a long time. Um, there's a lot of things about this and the situation I don't really get, but it's time to move forward. I'm really looking forward to my contribution the next few weeks, next couple of months, uh, to NBC's presentation of the return to play and starting with the qualifiers and so on, and just getting back to work and doing something productive, which I think we can all relate to. Right. Uh, let me jump in ahead of Eric, John, just to, in, in case people don't know. I mean, you joined the Carolina Hurricanes before they were the Carolina Hurricanes. You went from yeah. Springfield to the Hartford Whalers. In fact, I, so I'll do a little history lesson here. If my information is correct, you replaced Rick Peckham on the Whalers TV broadcast. And of course, you know, a little history going on. Rick Peckham recently awarded the Foster Hewitt award as the uh, top broadcaster basically the hall of fame arm of broadcasting for this year and retiring in after a long long career in tampa and then you came with the franchise to carolina and uh, now you and the carolina hurricanes have uh, have parted ways and and of course you're continuing to do your national work but is there i i guess it, what is that? What's the last month been like for you to come to that sort of, um, you know, the realization or come to grips with the fact that, you know, what you've been doing now for years and years and part of the fabric of that community and that franchise is, you know, that that time has passed now. And I wonder what it's been like to try and come to grips with that. It's been hard. It's been emotional. It's been real tough on my family, my kids. I've got two in college. I've got one in high school. And um, they're old enough to see most of this and remember most of this and, and understand that, you know, life's going to change a little bit now. 
<clears throat> so once you get through those emotions and you try to understand um, where you're headed, you also have an opportunity to look back. And I've been blessed here, Scott, by um, tremendous uh, outpouring from the fans, which has really touched my heart. So that's been really good. Um, but you're right. My career started in 84 in the American Hockey League. I went to the Whalers in 91. I came here with the Hurricanes in 97. This is the first time in my career, luckily enough, that I haven't been getting paid by somebody. So this has been this has been very unique. Uh, I'm not alone. A lot of people have gone through these situations where you're in between. And that's where I'm at. And as I say that, I'm also very excited because I, I'm thinking now at this stage of my career, maybe this is, is happening for a reason. You have to turn it into a positive. That's what I plan on doing. And I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, what's out there for me and my family. But um, I, I really think when you, you pour everything you have into a gig like this, for as long as I did, you hope that you made a difference. And some of the responses I've received from the fan base here, and even on the national front, what people have been kind enough to say via Twitter and other uh, that's been uplifting. And, and I've needed that. Well, John, I, I don't know how closely you read The Athletic, but uh, you know, several months ago, Jonathan Willis, our correspondent in Edmonton, did a ranking of NHL broadcasters, and he had you and, and Tripp at the top of the list, and, and I think a lot of people heartily endorsed that. I mean, I watched the, the NHL package, and what I really enjoyed about the way you guys called the game was there was a fairness to it, and, and I don't know, I think a lot of our listeners may not understand that when you're an employee of a team, it's sometimes difficult to do that because there are certain teams that want you to call a game a certain way. And then there are other organizations that are, are more willing to allow you to, to tell it like it is. And I thought that the reason that you guys did so well in our, our poll was because you had a very fair, even-handed broadcast. Um, and so, uh, you know, that that is my little introduction to, like, what happened? Like, can you what what can you tell our listeners about mm -hmm. the circumstances of uh, of how this whole thing unfolded? Because if you're number one, like it's it's just like it's I think it's mind boggling to both Scott and I that, that you're in the situation you're in. I mean, it's one thing like I'm of a generation where the work protected you, right? The work protected you. If your work was top, not it, it protected you. And when the work stops protecting you, it it upsets me. And so anyway. Enough of me talking. What can you tell us about, about what happened? Well, first of all, Eric, I appreciate all of that. And, and secondly, let me just say this. I'd be a fool not to pay attention to the athletic. <laughs> Whoa. Good call. Good call. All right. So let's just get that out of the way right now and we'll move forward. Um, and people better be listening to that. But um, you know what? Um, I don't know. I I've asked myself that question of what's happened here over and over and over again. It's a much better question for Tom Dundon, the owner of the Hurricanes. Um, only he knows. I can just tell you that um, a little over a month ago, uh, my contract, which was expiring on June 30th, the, the, the issue came up between the team and my, my representation. And um, we thought that what would happen here is we would get through the summer, um, possibly extend my deal through the restart, get through the regional broadcasts, and then get to the fall and see where the landscape was and see if we could carve out a new deal. But the team immediately said they were not, you know, looking for a situation like that. They were more of the appetite of 
pursuing an independent contractor relationship with me, which uh, I've never been a part of. I've always worked for the team. And so that was going to change. And then a week later, I received a proposal. And, and without going into great detail, I could just tell you that um, the guarantee, the guarantee money was a drastic uh, a reduction in pay. And any kind of recapture on my earnings was directly tied to not only percent capacity of, uh, in the arenas, but the actual attendance of each and every game. So this is something that was brand new to me. I'd never seen anything like this for a broadcaster, especially a club broadcaster. So we, we kind of worked the numbers and um, decided we go back to them with um, an idea and a, and a pitch to maybe get to a reduction in pay because of the pandemic for this season, see if we could get a multi-year situation uh, in play. That's, that was hard to do last year. So I was coming off a one-year deal. Absolutely no appetite from the team, no negotiation, nothing happened for 10 days. We got to the expiration of the deal. I did have a conversation with Tom. It was civil. Um, you know, he, he's, listen, he's a Maverick owner. He has his ideas. His team has been very successful since he's owned the team here. And they've got a great group led by an outstanding coach in Rod Brindamore. And I, I think he just has his own ideas about how he wants to pay people, depending on what you do. And in terms of what I do and what I've uh, brought to the table here, I guess it wasn't good enough or he didn't put any value on it. He didn't want to uh, give me any security. So I just told him, you've made your decision and I have to make mine now, Tom. And that is, um, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to look at other things for me at this time and stand up for myself and stand up on my own and, and take that leap of faith. And that's exactly what happened. Now, since then, there have been uh, a couple of comments from Don Waddell, which have been nice and I respect. He, he has said, you know, we'd like to keep the door open with John, but I've been very honest with our fans here locally when I've been asked, and there has absolutely been no dialogue between myself and the team. Um, do I understand it? No. Do I think it's fair? No. Would I like to still be here calling games for this franchise? Why wouldn't I be? So uh, I don't believe I was treated uh, fairly. That's my opinion. Um, he can have his opinion, and I, I know one thing. I'm moving forward. Yeah. John, you know, it's easy for Eric and I to say, listen, I have zero doubt that you're going to find a place, and, and whether it's in a local market, whether that's something that appeals to you still, whether it's as an, a full-time national guy. Um, but I, I wonder when you when you think of guys, you mentioned Rod Brindamore. I mean, you called... Hit the game in Game Seven in '06 when the Canes win their yeah. only Stanley Cup, and now you know a guy you've worked closely with as he's become a very successful head coach. And Trip Tracy's sit next to him night after night, mm -hmm. and uh, the the various people you know, even the people you know who work in the press box, all those kinds of things. And and you know, not to belabor the point, but it it, it strikes me that that would be a very difficult thing to to walk away from it or to mm -hmm. at least come to grips with, okay, that part of my life is over now, given those relationships. And especially given the resurgence of this team under Rod Brindamore. I mean, you and I talked a year ago heading into the playoffs the first time in 10 years. And um, it just must be disappointing, especially with the team, I think on the cusp of something that could be a kind of a lasting kind of success there. Absolutely. I mean, it's conceivable they could win the Stanley Cup this year. You know, what what would that be like? Um, but, you know, Scott, that's a great question and a great viewpoint. And all of those things you mentioned um, 
relationships with present and past players, the coaching staffs over the years. I've, I've been very lucky to work with some, some great coaches, um, Paul Maurice, Peter Laviolette, um, Kirk Muller for a brief period of time, um, Bill Peters before everything he went through, I thought did a very good job just kind of organizing things and, and starting to develop some of this young talent. My relationships with Jimmy Rutherford over the years, uh, Ron Francis, who's, as we all know, first-class individual. Um, and then, of course, you mentioned Trip. 22 years we've been together, and I think our, our, our brand has, has grown, evolved, and um, he's a dear friend. He's going to continue with the team. Yeah, the deal worked for him. It didn't work in my world. So what I've been able to do here is not get too caught up in all of that because all of that can really uh, bring you down emotionally. And also uh, it's always there because I live here, right? So I, I live it every day. So I, I see bumper stickers and I see you know signage for the team and people have flags on their front porch and things like that. Even now, even during this pandemic in this market, I mean, the canes are a pretty hot commodity. So what I came up with is this, listen, I have to deal in a, a realistic world for myself and my career. That proposal that he gave me was not workable. There's no way I could make it work financially. So it was a pretty easy decision. It wasn't your classic low ball, high ball, middle ground type negotiation. This, this was changing the framework of my compensation uh, to a point where I couldn't make it work. So this decision for me has been easy to move forward. I'm leaning on that right now. And uh, I'm trying to get past all of that. But when you're in a place and you're connected with a team and you you take a franchise that comes to virgin territory, as they did in 97, and you go through the peaks and valleys and you actually get to the pinnacle with the team when they win the Stanley Cup in 06, it's a remarkable run. So I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for whatever legacy is left behind. And I'm just trying to kind of shift my mindset into a in a brand new territory and that's kind of where i'm at right now yeah so john uh will, would it be odd for you if when you get to toronto in this bubble to be calling hurricane games do you think well i'm gonna find out i'm gonna do their exhibition game um, uh -huh. against washington the wow. second day of exhibition play <laughs> i'm gonna call game one uh, of their game on high noon, August 1st, first game of the tournament. Yes. And uh, I believe I had the second game too. And I think I, ha I might have a, a great deal of hurricane games on, on the, uh, on the agenda here, which is, uh, which is good, Eric. And I'm looking forward to seeing everybody. I think I, you know, I, I just want to say hello. I want to, I, I miss going to practice. Uh, uh, part of this job is uh, the opportunity to be around the team every day. And I think that day when they started practicing in phase three, that's when it really started to hit me that I wasn't part of that anymore. I couldn't go grab a coffee, sit down and, you know, yuck it up in the stands and watch the boys go through practice. Um, that that to me is is special. That's a that's a special privilege to be uh, anybody in our line of work who's able to eavesdrop on a practice, watch a practice, be a voyeur. And, uh, and be around the media and just, and you guys can relate to it, just that camaraderie that exists amongst all of us. Um, I'm sitting at home and I'm preparing every day for the teams I'm going to see, but I'm detached and getting used to that detachment is not easy.
Yeah. So uh, let me ask then, John, I, I'm curious. We had Doc Emmerich on um, before Pierre went on vacation. So it's probably a month ago or so. And just uh, I'm curious about that kind of preparation because your schedule now and um, if I, my his, my memory serves correct and you have experience at international play or doing multiple games. But what's what's your preparation been like for this event i mean we're talking an unprecedented you know series of round robin games for the top four teams in each conference and then of course 16 teams playing a best of five play in um what's it like for you to prepare for that and how is that different than you know if you were getting ready for you know first first round a year ago washington carolina what what has that dynamic been like for you to to say okay this is what lies ahead of me I got to I got to get my brain in a different groove now. Well, Scott, the obvious answer is the the, the multitude of teams, right? So that's that's different. Um, it is kind of a um, setting, but even more so, there are more teams. Um, even though I'm concentrating on the Eastern Hub, I still have to pay attention, as I always do, league wide. So I still have an eye on the West. There's a chance that I'll be doing some of that too. We don't really know right now, but what's what's way different about this circumstance is the what you're reaching back to. If this makes any sense. So, in other words, I'm preparing and going through you know rosters and line combinations and and getting my my normal prep done as I would say a month out from the start of the regular season, where I take a team per day, you know, leading into the season and immerse myself in that team and just get everything set. What I'm doing now is trying to link what I see uh, in terms of their training camps and what they're going through the best you can to what happened in March and before that. And there's no link to that. There's no conclusion that could be drawn, but you have to go back and look at it because A, I don't remember, and B, uh, I I want to kind of see the trends they were on. So luckily I have records of every team and I see the winning streaks, the losing streaks, whatever it is through February and so on to see where they were at and then try to bring that together. Uh, just for my own my own thinking and my own preparation, I don't think that has anything to do with what we do when we go live because when we go live, it's about now. It's about the first game because after the four month period being off, the first game is really what that's all about. And then the next day and how the teams adjust, I think will be very intriguing. So this is a a reality show that will start from day one, (laughs) August 1st, and take us all the way to the end. None of us can really forecast it. We can sound like we know what we're talking about, but do we really know? We don't even know how the, the goalies are going to respond, how the teams are going to be in sync, which teams will be better. Was a younger team have an edge? Uh, can an older guy find find his groove? And how quickly can they if they're involved in the three out of fives? So um, I think it's very exciting, but I'm going through a normal preparation period that I would for the start of a, a playoff series or the regular season. Um, it's just harder because um, you don't have a, a frame of reference that reaches back a week. You know, it's, it's got to go back four months. I'm looking at a ton of tape and, and stuff like that. It's funny, John. We're, we're going through the same thing on, on the, quote, print side because, you know, like I'm, I'm looking at the way Winnipeg was playing down the stretch. Right. And I thought they were the best team in the NHL. Like they were fantastic. And, and yet – like, can, can they pick it up from that level after such a length of time? I always say to Scott, you know, normally at the best of times, we're making educated guesses. And now we're down to uneducated guesses. You may as well throw a card against the wall. 
I wanted to ask you how you anticipate life in the bubble for a broadcaster. So I think we've got a pretty good idea just from, um, you know, the player reports about what they are um, anticipating about, you know, life in hotels and, and, you know, potentially being away from families for a long period of time. Uh, but, but I also think that, you know, two thirds of the NHL will be done after three and a half weeks, and that's not going to be the case for the, the broadcasting team. So what, what, what are you bringing? How are you, just, <laughs> how are you just getting, you know, your head around the fact that, uh, that you will be essentially, you know, living in a, in a bubble for a, a, an extended period of time? Well, if you go by the um, school of thought of pack lightly, you might as well forget it. Right? So that's, <laughs> that's impossible. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to expect um, because, again, <clears throat> you're going to do a job and you're going to stay healthy. Those two things have never been in play, right? Like we and it's a fault of all of ours. We take so much for granted. We think about our health, we try to live right, but we don't think about it as much as you have to in this bubble. If you're getting tested every day, if you're you know, worried about your, your temperature, if you're worried about answering questions every day when you get up in the morning just so you can go get tested and you know, being cognizant of others and being socially distant in our business, you can't, you can't really shake hands and hug anybody anymore. Um, you you got to make sure you, you have all the protocols in place and do the right thing. So that weighs on your mind. Then you have a job to do. Then there's the repetitive na nature of the games. The only thing I'm thinking about is, you know, Eric, over the last few seasons, my national work has really increased. And this past year to the pause, I had already, already done 28 national games for NBC along with my cane schedule. So because of those logistics, I'm doing a lot of traveling on my own all the time and a lot of time by myself because I have to get to the room, I have to prep, I have to do the game, I have to get to the next place early in the morning. And so I was even becoming detached from the team a little bit. I would only see them if I needed to jump on the charter to get home. Um, I actually do the game and see the people I work with, but not see the players or the training staff or the coaches until post game. Um, so I'm used to being alone. I'm used to um, showing up, doing the game, and that's what this is going to be. Um, in Toronto, Mike Milbury, Mike Milbury will be there with me and Brian Boucher. And uh, we're not going to have – I don't know. I, I guess there's so much unknown about this. Even after games, what do you do? Can you, can you uh, grab a bite to eat after the game and a, and, and a refreshment? Or do you have to go right to your room and then Groundhog Day, you do it again? I think it's going to be Groundhog Day. Um, and after, you know, this time period off and all of the uncertainty that's gone along with the pandemic, I think it's going to be a great change of pace. Yeah. Well, good for you. Just, before we get let you go, though, John, I, I'm curious whether in your research, and, and I know you're going to be in Toronto, but outside of that Carolina Rangers uh, play-in series, which will obviously be of keen interest to you and you'll be connected to it by calling it but is there a play-in series or uh, a team in the round robin that you're particularly curious about are you like geez i can't wait to you know if i'm not calling it i'm sh i'm sure really curious to see how this plays out or how this team responds what is there something that fits that yeah there are two teams for me one in the east and one in the west and they're they're kind of different but i'm really interested to see how they how they come and how they perform. So the first team in the East for me would be Boston. To me, they were, you know, 
yes, I'm with Eric. Winnipeg was starting to find their groove, but you know, stem to stern, the regular season, Boston was deep and strong and well coached from the goal out, outstanding. You've got a, a Selkie nominee, a Vesna nominee. You've got Pasternak in the mix. You've got Marshawn. It's a great team. But my point about them is they lose game seven at home for the cup. They have that burn and they have to live with that all summer. Now they get to this tremendous regular season. Their coach is up for coach of the year, a hundred point season and clicking on all cylinders. And then this happens. And now what? And now you come back. And for many of these guys, and Char is the first guy you think about, you know, they're, they're driving for the cup and they're driving for redemption and then it's halted and now they got to come back and start over again. What do they look like? Are they the same? Are they as dominant? I still think they're a favorite. And then in the West, uh, you know, you look at St. Louis and the way, you know, they, the way they've played and to defend their cup, you look at Vegas and the changes they've made and the coaching change and how they prop their game up and other teams in, in the West, but Colorado, for me, I, I just want to see how they perform. Uh, got a chance to see them quite a bit this year. Um, I think they're really well coached, maybe more than people uh, give Jared Bednar credit for. Um, Nathan McKinnon's season, as, as you know, indicated by the fact he's up for the MVP, is an is a outstanding campaign. But he's surrounded by a great collection of skilled players with tremendous speed. If they get goaltending, and they might have to rely on both guys who are very good in the regular season, this is, to me, an, an elite team that might qualify as a sleeper. And under these circumstances, with their speed and skill, they might be something to watch. So I think he could go a variety of ways because of the circumstances involving a restart after four months off. But I really think, for me, those two teams, you know, one is, is kind of an, an incumbent elite team, and the other one's an up-and-coming team. I want to see how they perform. Good stuff. Well, listen, I, I, I don't know how things are going to play out for you, John, uh, but I know there's always a future for you here on Two Man Advantage. If, uh, Thank if you. ever, anytime, like I, it, I, I what can't, a day this has been. <laughs> I, I can't guarantee that the offering would be, would be any better than, than maybe what you were looking at before, but might uh, be worse, I, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey. Hey, boys, right now I'm just looking for status quo, right? And, and you guys you guys meet the demand. <laughs> well, we just want to thank you so much for taking the time. Thank and and you. we want you to, you know, travel safely. Uh, I too. can't – maybe we can reach out to, as we move along and, and get a, an update on life in the bubble. But I have no doubt, uh, and, and I'm, I'll assume I'm speaking for Eric here too, no doubt that uh, this period of time will end with some something uh much more to your liking i can guarantee it because that's what happens to good people and, and people who do uh, exemplary work and you do so all the best with that and thank you for hanging out and uh, i can't wait to turn on my tv uh in a matter of days and and hear your call of a game so john thanks very much for hanging out with us Thank you, John. As long as I thank you guys, as long as I remember how and uh, Scotty and Eric, high respect for both of you. Thanks so much. You made my day. Appreciate yeah. it. Thanks, Johnny. Appreciate it a lot. Uh, Eric, I, that was so much fun. And uh, in our house, 
given our cable package, it's a weird kind of thing. But we get local broadcasts for both Nashville and for the Carolina Hurricanes. And I can tell you, I'm with you, Eric, uh, we spent a lot of time, in part because I, I, the Canes play such an enter, entertaining brand of hockey, and you never know when they're going to need a Zamboni driver to fill in at goal. But uh, that I, I just never get tired. Uh, I John and Tripp together, but certainly John's call is, I think, is rightly considered among the best in the game. Um, so I'm, I'm curious about to your reaction to all of that. And maybe about, we'll talk a little bit about broadcasting in general, but we do have a break to go to first. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Grab your peanuts and popcorn. Baseball is back. That's right. The boys will be getting back out on the diamond this week. And while we may not be able to join them at the park, there is plenty of action to be had from the comfort of your home. DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, is putting you on the field with a shot to play risk-free for a shot at hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you haven't tried it yet, fantasy baseball is easy to play. Just pick 10 players, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for hits, runs, strikeouts, and more. There's no better way to put your baseball knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at hundreds of thousands of dollars. But if baseball isn't for you, don't worry. DraftKings is offering plenty of fantasy golf action for this weekend's tournament. With millions of dollars up for grabs this week, there is no better place to have skin in the game than with DraftKings. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code RUN to get a free shot at a share of the millions of dollars up for grabs this week with your first deposit. That's promo code RUN to get a free shot at a share of millions of dollars with your first deposit. Only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. So Eric, I was just curious, when you were listening to John describe what had happened to him and, and his... No, it's. I think it, it, it's a painful uh, uh, separation uh, with the Carolina Hurricanes. So you've lived a long time in Calgary. There have been, you know, popular broadcast people connected with local sports, and and specifically the Flames. And people come and go. I think in a good, in a good hockey market, there is a real bond, and there is a connection that. Uh, you know, people feel strongly one way or the other, but feel strongly about the people who are bringing them the details of their favorite team's games. I mean, do you think that's true? And maybe what, what's your what's your take on on what is unfolding in Carolina? Well, uh, yeah, the, to me, the, there's no question about that. And I think it's because, uh, you know, a lot of longtime broadcasters are the link from what in John's case, you know, from the moment the team arrived until now. You know, their players have come and gone. Coaches have come and gone. Managers have come and gone. So what is the one consistent thing that the fans have to rely on? It's the play-by-play team. And I think that, you know, in, in the case of, you know, people like, like John and, and Tripp that do it so well, um, you know, the, they, they become synonymous with the team. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit different than what we do. You know, we have to as you know keep an arm's length relationship, uh, you know, and, and, and a level of distance, I suppose, from uh, from the people that you, you, you cover. I always say that you can't write about ghosts, so you have to get to know the people, but you can't, you know, become 
bosom buddies with them either because you know there there will come a time when you have to you know be critical of, of someone's performance so but but in, in in terms of the relationship that fans have it, it's the broadcasters that that are that consistent night after night year after year link and so i, I think it I, like, I think it's bad for the business model of the Carolina Hurricanes to lose an asset as valuable as, as John Forslund. You know, we talk about, you know, players leaving teams as free agents, uh, players being traded, good trades, bad trades. But in, in, in terms of, of what they're trying to accomplish there, reestablishing themselves in the, in the market, doing a real good job of it, uh, you know, creating a, uh, an exciting team, uh, a team that has more depth than it's had in, in a, a long period of time after that uh, long playoff drought. It just didn't make sense to me that that someone that is as important to the business model and to the community uh, that you would you would have this sort of odd negotiation. And, um, you know, especially since we don't know what the future of professional sports will be like. I mean, to have a contract tied to attendance and, and different things like that. Well, well, who knows when people will be back in the seats and then who knows if after a, a short period of time of people returning to the seats, there isn't another outbreak of, of COVID and all of a sudden games are being played in, in, in empty arenas. So, I mean, with, with all of the uncertainty in, in the industry right now, um, I, I get, I'm not running the team, but if I'm running, if I'm running the team, that, that you know, the one thing that I want is, is my broadcast team intact because, because, whether they're calling games in empty arenas, half full arenas, full arenas, eventually they are the link to the community. They are the, the people that the fans trust have come to like. I mean, not everybody loves everybody all the time, but you know, I mean, I, I listen to all those calls too. I mean, I have the NHL center ice package and, and I'll, I'll never uh, be critical of, of the, of the broadcast that I don't like, but I, I, I love John's call. I mean, he's just real good. And, and that's why, that's why he gets all those national games. I mean, you know, we're not, we're not revealing secrets here. He, he's just a really good professional. And uh, it just, it, it, yeah, I, I saw that and it just, it, it didn't, it seemed odd. Uh, it seemed, the timing seemed really weird. And um, I don't know, we'll see what happens going forward. So just before we leave this and we'll talk some play in and training camps and all awards and all kinds of cool things. Um, but I, I'm curious because it, and uh, and it never really dawned on me because it's fairly new. Uh, but, uh, of course, John mentioned among the people he's worked closely with Ron Francis, former GM in Carolina, former captain, um, Hall of Famer, also now the GM of a Seattle team that at some point will be naming a coach and getting ready to uh, embark on their first uh, days as a as an NHL franchise with games on the ice, all those kinds of things. At some point, Ron and the executive team in Seattle will hire a broadcast team and, a, and uh, whether they do simulcast, radio, TV, the hosts, all the people that they hire to bring those first games to that community in Seattle, that will be a really important decision. And have to imagine at this stage that maybe John Forslund's on Ron's uh, to-do list, to call at least. But I'm curious to see how that will go because, and your point is a good one, I think, Eric, Tom Dundon has decided that it's sort of the opposite side of the coin, that he, I can only assume he feels that 
it doesn't matter whether it's John Forsland and Trip Tracy or, um, you know, Mike Maniscalco is going to step uh, in from reporting uh, in-game and doing um, some panel work uh, to, to play-by-play and, and go along Trip Tracy. I can only assume Tom Dundon believes that it, it really doesn't matter who's doing that job, that the end result in terms of people who listen and the, the, the value to a team, I'm going to use my air quotes, the value to the team is not appreciably different. I, I disagree like you do, but that's his, that's his belief. That's his business model. I assume Ron Francis will do something completely different because I think that hire in Seattle is going to be critically important and not that I'm shilling for John Forsland to get that job in Seattle now, but boy, that that would be a pretty good get, I would think, if you were Ron Francis. But I wonder if you agree or, you know, especially when you think about a team that's trying to make a connection with the community, how important those people will be in Seattle. Yeah, well, that's how I connect the dots, too. So, no, I, I think you're, yeah. you're, you're on to something there. I mean, I think there will be some... Um, some other options for John, and and I think that he will then have a chance to to consider those options. Uh, you know, it may well be that you know the year coming up, uh, you know, maybe he doesn't take a local job. Maybe he just does national work uh, for NBC, and then and then looks at the landscape uh, a year from now because that's you know the the time that Seattle is coming into the league. And I'm sure that you know because the one thing that Seattle has done, which is I guess maybe a little bit different than than the Carolina model, is that they have gone out and hired people ahead of what the normal schedule would be. So, for example, right around this time last year, they hired Ron Francis. And, uh, you know, and, and that was sooner than Vegas hired George McPhee. And the idea was that, you know, these are critical hires in our organization. And if we have the right person, we don't mind paying that person for an extra six months, eight months, 10 months, uh, because the more lead time we have, the more prepared we will be uh, for that day when we sit down and, 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 and draft our team. So if that organizational philosophy applies to all the other hires. And, you know, you look at the scouting staff, you look at the analytical staff, there's no reason that it shouldn't also apply to the broadcast staff. And so if, if all of a sudden, you know, someone is available uh, that might not be available in six months, you know, maybe you go in and, and, and you make your pitch and, and, you know, and you get that person, uh, that person locked up, uh, that, that, I mean, I don't want to do Ron Francis's work for him or, 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 or try to, um, you know, anticipate what he might do. But yeah, as I said, I, that's how I connect the dots. I, I think that's where he'll land. Yeah. All right. I, I'm fascinated by it. It's, it, it's a, <laughs> such an interesting thing. So, all right. Eric, don't go away. We'll come back. We'll close out this edition of Two Man Advantage. We'll talk some awards and some play in hockey. But uh, first, we will go to this message. Support for Two Man Advantage is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And there's big news. Manscaped just launched in Canada. For those listeners in Canada, you can be one of the first Canadians to experience their life-changing products. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and have their new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. 
If you are listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20, that's 2-0, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC20. All right, my friend. Yeah, all right, we got. I mean, hockey is literally just around the corner. I, I, man, I, 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 I have to tell you that for a long time, uh, and when Pierre and I would talk about this, I, it, we were at various levels of skepticism about whether this would ever possibly work. So many moving parts, so much could go wrong. Uh, I would say I was always, you know, five, six on the scale of ten as to whether this was going to happen. But we're we're really close. I know the recent uh, um, test results for COVID-19 that the league puts out seem to indicate very, very small numbers and that the players seem to be following protocols and that, you know, and that's the critical point is getting all 24 teams into Edmonton and Toronto um, without having positive tests and that that gives you the chance to, you know, to really close down the bubble and get this thing to work. Do you do you have an optimism scale one to ten? Do you, does it does it feel any different this week than last week for you? It's a great question, and uh, and what I would tell you is that that I'm up and down when it comes to to things like that because I you know everything you just said is is true. You know the, the National Hockey League players uh, and, and staff seem to have done a, a, a really good job of approaching this with with the. The, the very sober reality of, of what they're trying to do. And, and, and it, re, it requires every single individual to, to pay attention to, to these protocols because all it takes for uh, you know, another outbreak is to have a couple of people straying from the protocols. I mean, you, you can get unlucky and, and you know, with everybody following the rules and, and something still happens that's a little untoward. So, but to, to your question, you know, there are moments, I wake up in the morning and uh, usually I'm pretty optimistic about things. And then, you know, I watch, uh, you know, an American nightly news show. I watch a Canadian nightly news show. And at the end of an hour, it's like, I don't know what's going to happen because, because it's just, you know, it, it, it very rarely, the last item always focuses on some positive upbeat story. And the previous 27 minutes are all about, uh, no one's paying attention or not enough people are paying attention and it's getting worse, not getting better. And um, so uh, I, I flip flop all the time. Uh, usually it's optimism in the morning and pessimism by about seven o'clock at night. Uh, um, and and I, I just don't know. I, I think John framed it pretty well in, in the conversation. It's this great unknown. And, um, you know, I, I think there's an awful lot of we're doing the best we can to make it as safe as possible. But there will be a certain amount of, you know, cross your fingers and hope for the best uh, when they finally do get underway. So but but like anything else, I mean, I, I'm like you. Um, I, would, I was prepared to wait until September for playoff hockey and, and to have just a 16 team regular tournament because there is something about, you know, hockey starting on August the 1st that just doesn't feel right to me. 
Um, but, you know, we won't be watching it in arenas. You and I will be watching it on our televisions like everybody else that's listening to the podcast. And so, um, uh, yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'm planning to watch a whole lot of games starting on August the 1st. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, quickly, before we go, interesting um, discussion regarding the Selkie Trophy nominations, which were revealed uh, earlier this week. And, of course, the Norris Trophy uh, also uh, as well. So uh, Ryan O'Reilly, Patrice Bergeron, Sean Couturier for the Selkie uh, finalists, and Roman Yossi, John Carlson, and Victor Hedman finalists for the for the Norris as uh, top defensemen. Any real surprises for you there, Eric, or things that made you go, hmm, I, want, I'm, I, I didn't think that would happen? No, no, not really. I mean, I, I, what I would say is that I, I do think that the Norris is a two-man race between uh, between Yossi and, and Carlson. And, and to me, I was curious to see if it was going to be Hedman or Petrangelo that was uh, third on the ballot. And I'm guessing that this means Petrangelo finished fourth. I think I had him third. But uh, um, but I, I do think that it was a two-man race. And, and and I'd be loath to predict it. Although, you know, there is a part of me that felt that uh, if, uh, if if we'd, if we'd if the vote had happened at, at midseason, it would have been a landslide for, for John Carlson. I think that Roman Yossi made up a lot of ground in the in the second half of the season, he was, I mean, I see Nashville a lot. He was a dynamic. He, he was having a, a fantastic year. If I had to hazard a guess, I'm going to say that, that, that Yossi in the end overtook Carlson's very big lead in the, in the minds of the voters and, and that he will ultimately end up uh, with the trophy. And, and as for the Selkie, you know, again, those are the three names that, uh, that I think will be on everybody's ballot of five. Um, I think I, Trying to remember, I, I'm pretty sure that Anthony Sorelli of Tampa was in my five. Can't remember where exactly, but uh, um, so you know. But but it is a little bit of a reputation award, and so I think that it does take time for for newcomers to the Selkie conversation to to start you know making an impact with a deeper group of, of voters. And I think that you're going to find as time passes that he's going to start gaining more and more support if his career continues along the path that it's on. And I've always liked Mark Stone in, in the in the Selkie conversation because perennially he leads the league in in takeaways and he's just so good on you know on, in that part of the game. I mean he's he's got such a great stick and he's such a clever player and he seems to be in the right lanes all the time. So you know you can you can assess, you know, the Selkie in, in, in a lot of different ways. And, and I think that a lot of times it goes to a center because part of playing good defense is winning face-offs and, and gaining control of the puck for, for your team. Um, but in the case of Stone, he has a special, unique talent. And I think that they're, you know, might be underappreciated a little bit by people who are, who are pondering their Selkie, Selkie ballots. But but he's always someone that... Uh, that I look at very hard when uh, when the con- when I'm sort of filling up my ballot as well. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Uh, I had Stone in my top five, and and you're right. It is a it is an award that does does tilt very very heavily to centers, and for you know I listen. I get it. Right, it's mm-hmm. it's the most important of all the skating positions. It, it just is. You have to do more and you have to be smarter if you're going to be good at it. And you, there are a lot more responsibilities. It's just, that's life. But I'm, I'm with you. I, I think Mark Stone, I can't remember where I, I had him 
uh, you know, in my top five. But uh, and Sorelli was in there as well. And I think over time, Sorelli will become a guy that we like Couturier maybe with Philadelphia that that we sort of understand how important they are. Philip Deneau in Montreal is another one who I think will 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 slowly work his way into that kind of conversation too. So, yeah, and um, I, you know, what? I do think I I think Couturier is going to win the thing this year. I just feel felt that there was a. Uh, that slowly but surely the support for him has built over the year, as you say, that will probably build for Sorelli. And, and my guess is that this was the year that everyone said, okay, it's his turn. That's my guess. I think that's it. I'm with you on that. I'm with you. On that. <laughs> All right. Before we close out here, um, listen, we're glad that you are listening to Two Man Advantage, but you should also tune in to Craig Custance, uh, who actually a little Carolina theme, former Carolina Hurricanes executive. Rick Dudley, who, of course, is connected to many NHL franchises, uh, Chicago, Montreal, of course, uh, played for a long time and coached in Buffalo. It, listen, Rick Dudley's been lots of places and one of the most interesting guys in the game. And he joins Craig Custance on a brand new The Full 60 this week. Um, and Mike Zeisberg, our old pal uh, from NHL.com, and Jeff Reimer, the voice of the Blue Jackets, our Aaron Portslines guest this week on Front and Nationwide. And Ray Ferraro, I always like to throw in an Atlanta Thrasher into the conversation, Eric. So Ray Ferraro from TSN Hockey and a former Thrasher joins Jonas Siegel and James Myrtle on the Leaf Report this week at The Athletic. And finally, Shannon Hogan, the host of New York Islanders Hockey on TV, joins Arthur Staple. You know, Arthur, I'm just going to deviate briefly, Eric, because you're a music guy. Arthur Staple often besmirches my choice in music. He 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 is he mocks me for if we happen to be in the same place and I put a song on the jukebox. He is he has openly mocked my musical choices. So I, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit sad about this. And even now I'm giving him a plug yeah. for his No Sleep Till Belmont podcast. And I wonder how you feel about that because I you know you know I'm pretty I'm a musical not maybe not a savant but pretty good. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know what Arthur's musical tastes are, so it's kind of hard for me to, to answer that question. But uh, yeah, we're of the same generation. I think we grew up listening to the same style of music, and so I, I think Arthur better be careful, otherwise you're going to stop plugging his podcast. <laughs> that's for that's for damn sure. So, anyway, you, you should also check out our comment section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. And if you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash twomanadvantage, you'll get 40% off your subscription. As always, Eric, fine, fine work. Really enjoyed that today, as always. And uh, listen, take uh, some time, relax. we got a lot of hockey coming up, but uh, thank you for hanging out, and, and maybe we'll do it again next week. Yeah, always a pleasure, Scott. <laughs> All right, man. Good job. Good job.